What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. In my children's literature classes, I teach my students about the range of genres and formats that make up the field of children's literature. Amongst the most misunderstood formats we study is the graphic novel. It helps that today most people understand that by graphic we mean illustrations and not some kind of graphic content. But even if they understand what they are, many of my students still seem to think that this format is not worthy of their attention. I guess this has a lot to do with the historical view of comics, and maybe even harkens back to the deep explorations the United States Congress did in the 1950s, where they laid the cause of juvenile delinquency right at the feet of crime, horror, and superhero comics. I also think this has a lot to do with the fact that some people see illustrations as some lesser form of literacy not understanding that we have to read pictures just as much as we read texts. No matter the cause, I encounter many who see graphic novels as escapist fare that has little depth and certainly no place in an educational context. But happily, most often as I work with them, they come to see just what a complex and useful format a graphic novel can be. As a reader, I love graphic novels because they help me see the world an author creates differently than just a story told with words. I think of them a lot like a stage play. I don't like reading dramatic scripts because there is nothing there to see. I can't see the actor's feelings or inflections with just the words on a page. However, if I see the play on a stage, I get all of that and more. For me, graphic novels work in the same way. Just words or dialogue would be bland, but with the pictures, I can see the world and the emotions and context of the characters. As a teacher, I love graphic novels because they engage all kinds of literacies at the same time. So we can flex our visual literacy and reading literacies all at once. So both as a reader and a teacher, I find great things in graphic novels, and in the end, graphic novels and other sequential art like them are just another way to tell an amazing story. And since you know that here at Rachel's World, we love stories, we know you won't find it hard to believe that we love graphic novels too. Who would have thought it possible that reading simple comic books, Spider-Man and Superman, you name it, could help a teenager become a better reader and develop a love for even more demanding literature. High school English teacher Ronell Whitaker has done this very thing in his classroom. He uses comics and graphic novels as a gateway for leading his students along toward more advanced literature. His method, first developed by fellow teacher Eric Callenborn, has grown nationwide through the help of the pop culture classroom. Rennell teaches at Community High School District 218 in Chicago, Illinois. Growing up on the city's south side, he developed a love of comic books, film, and technology. These seemingly disconnected passions have informed Mr. Whitaker as an educator and have led to his passion for helping his students develop fluency in multiple literacies. He's presented across the country at conferences and conventions 
on the benefit of comics in the classroom and is a founding member of the Comics Education Outreach Program. Here's Rachel and Ronell Whitaker. We're on the phone today with Ronell. Welcome, Ronell. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Ronell, I am so excited to talk to you today and to introduce this wonderful program that you have co-developed to our listening audience. So you started a program called the Comic Education Outreach Program. So tell us a little bit about it and why you started it. Uh, Okay, well, the Comics Education Outreach Program is actually um, done in conjunction with Pop Culture Classroom which is a nonprofit that created the Denver Comic Con. Um, we started this program because my uh, friend and I, Eric Callenborn, we would travel around the country talking about how important it is to engage students using comics. And one of the things we got a lot was people were um, complaining about not having access to comics, like their, their schools couldn't afford it or their districts wouldn't pay for it. So what we decided was, well, let's kind of get that roadblock out of the way. And we created this program called Commerce Education Outreach, where we will um, provide professional development for teachers, you know, either it's online or via the phone uh, or in person if we can. Um, we also will travel to different professional de- uh, cons like comic cons or professional conferences and uh, do that. And the biggest thing I'm most excited about is the lending library which is the thing that's going to really help a lot of teachers out. We have seven titles right now that uh, we have classroom sets of that we will send across the country for a nominal fee, about 25 bucks. Um, teachers can borrow those books. They have lesson plans to go along with them. And the part that really excites me about it is we also have a part where students and teachers will write a reflection that they'll pass on to the next class. We also write uh, lesson plans and reviews for comics that are more appropriate for the classroom. So if teachers are looking for things they can use in the class, they can go to our website and, you know, be connected to all that good stuff. Ronell, that is amazing. I love this program, particularly kind of at its essence, the fact that you are looking at comics and graphic novels and that format as a very educative kind of experience. So tell us a little bit about how you came as an educator to find that place where you know that comics have a really strong place in, in our teaching and our learning with our children. Well, you know, it's funny because I've heard that um, assertion a couple of times before that, you know, comics don't have a place in education. But we also turn to comics often to teach our kids things like morality. Like we tell kids, hey, you should probably model yourself after people like Superman who do the right thing and things like that. So we've long known that these are educationally valuable resources. Um, It's just that we haven't looked at them as a classroom resource. So early in my teaching career, I knew that comics were a way where kids could have a quick win, like an easy way to say, I understand this story. I get what's happening. There's nothing standing in my way, like, you know, Shakespearean vocabulary or something like that. I initially started by teaching using a book called Ultimate Spider-Man. My, uh, one of my bosses came to me and asked if I would be interested in using it. And I got super excited and said, heck yeah, I'd love to use that book. And, um, it kind of spiraled from there uh, because I knew that my kids would love it. And what was amazing about that experience was when I first used that book, my kids were excited. Like they loved the fact we would 
reading the comments, they felt like we were getting away with something <laughs> in class. Yeah. And then um, after that, we read a, a book by Jean Yang, or Jean Luen Yang, sorry, I want to say his full name, called American Born Chinese, which uh, deals with the problem of being a, like a first or second generation immigrant to America and having to try to find a way to assimilate to this new culture, but also um, stay true to your own roots. And I teach in a, I taught at that time in a school that had a large um, uh, Mexican population. And uh, a lot of those kids could definitely relate to what this character was going through. It was not your typical superhero book, um, but the, again, the kids loved it. So I thought, well, if they can do the same skills that I've taught before with traditional text, but through comics, well, let's try something traditional now. And we went from uh, American-born Chinese to August Wilson's Fences, um, which was a total 180. Uh, but the kids were game and they were down for it because they figured, well, if this guy is going to give me Spider-Man, and I love that, then I'll probably love this other thing he gives me. And we went from Fences to Romeo and Juliet. And I've never seen a class more excited to read Shakespeare than I have since that uh, class, um, because those are kids who came to Shakespeare in a way where we taught them the skills in an easy format, an easier format. And we taught them the skills, giving them things that they liked, so they figured, well, if these things are good, then Shakespeare must be good, too. Those successes that you had are just so inspiring because I think they open for us as concerned adults in the lives of children to just show how much that building and scaffolding can help. And then also how much engaging students' interest is is so important. I, I know with your program, you talk about how it does engage students and how particularly it engages our visual literacy. So can you maybe speak a little bit more to that about what is it about this format that is so engaging for kids? Well, I mean, there's a couple of things, and I'm glad you brought up the idea of visual literacy because visual li- literacy is a skill that um, our kids are going to need to uh, attain very soon. Uh, it, it's uh, basically the ability to look at images uh, and text, marry those together, and glean your own information from that. Um, most of the reading that a lot of our kids do now is actual visual, visual literacy. Uh, one of the examples I use a lot is Snapchat. Do, do, you, do you all have a lot of Snapchat out there? Oh, yes, we do. Very popular. <laughs> <laughs> and I ask them, you know, so what do you call you know, Snapchat, when you have a string of images together that happened in one day. And they said, it's a story. And then I don't say anything after that because they start to think, like, you know, where am I trying to get them to go? And they say, oh, that's, so we're using images to tell stories. I'm like, that's exactly what you're doing. So you use these images to to glean information about a person's day the same way that we use things like infographics to show a kid, um, you know, the importance of water to a developing country or the way we use charts and graphs to show the change in the migratory patterns of birds, something like that. And, you know, one of the things that I've been trying to really impress upon people is when we talk about the use of comics in the classroom, we aren't saying that we want to get rid of traditional literature. We, we say that we want to use that as a gateway into helping our kids actually dig into that stuff and maybe, you know, discover their love of learning. 
when I was a young, young kid, um, I liked to read, but my mom got me into reading from buying me Archie comics. And what she got me to reading from buying me Archie comics, and also she got me to calm down in the grocery store and not knock a bunch of stuff down. <laughs> by Smart mom. <laughs> yeah. But, but, I, but still, the lesson was learned, and I, I, I found that I love stories, and I think that's what we try to use these for today. Really instill that in our kids, this, this level of story and this level of learning. I also am passionate about the story aspect of all of this. So maybe speak a little bit to how you might view the the format of comics. Is there some way that they use story in a different way? Is is there some difference there? Well, you know, there's a massive difference, and we actually spend time looking at the different formats. Uh, one of the big key things is uh, with an image, you have the ability to kind of really dissect what's happening in that image. Um, And some people say you can do that with paragraphs too, and that's true, but images are much more lasting. Um, I often ask my kids uh, to raise their hand if they can remember like a paragraph from the book that really stood out to them, if they remember that word from word, and it's crickets in there. But then I go, well, what about like an, a picture or an image that you can remember every detail of it? And every single hand goes up. And it's true for most people. I think we can all recall like a favorite painting or a favorite sculpture or even a favorite image of our family. But if I put your feet to the fire, most of us couldn't go, oh, yes, I remember it was on the 51st page of Joyce's Ulysses, and I can, you know... <laughs> bring that out. So it, it, it's a thing that, um, that's one thing that comics has going for it as a medium. What's also massive for comics is that it is a living literature. And what I mean by that is a lot of our kids seem to be detached from um, traditional literature because it feels to them that this is a book that's been out for hundreds of years and they are removed from it and they don't even really believe that people write books. So with comics, it's a, it's much more lively. They come out every week, you know, or every few days or so. Um, I have the the advantage of being able to tell them, oh, yeah, I met this guy and talked to him, or I met this woman and talked to her. And I can have them Skype into our classroom and talk to you about this book because comic artists and creators tend to be really open to that kind of stuff. So it feels much more vibrant to them. And it also, finally, the reason why it's a great medium is because they feel like they can do it too, which is huge. Most of the time with a book, kids, you know, some kids feel like, oh, I'm a writer, but I don't feel like I can write an entire book. But every one of my kids, regardless of art level or anything, feel like, oh, I could definitely write a comic. That's easy. So I think those are the advantages that they tend to have over your traditional literature. Ronell, that is so insightful. I truly appreciate that because I think that this really speaks to kids in a way that other formats or other engagements in writing don't. Have you found as you've worked through this that there is a certain group of kids or a certain type of kids that this particularly speaks to? Um, I mean, if, if I'm being honest, I you know I tend to teach um, what some people would term the at-risk population. I'm not truly a fan of that term, but I understand what it means, which means that kids have a plethora of factors that place them at risk at failing a course or at risk at not uh, matriculating. 
so I've often been exposed to a, a specific group of kids um, who may need that extra push. And what I've found is that my kids who have deficits in reading really respond to comics because they have the ability to understand them on the same level that their peers tend to understand um, more traditional texts. And I've also found that my special ed population really gravitate towards comics. And it's not just because of the ease of reading, but it's also because, again, it requires a different way of understanding that some of my kids just happen to excel at. Um, and also, another you know, bonus here is that when they have, like, superhero books, they have the opportunity to go, oh, I know who that character is, so I have a rich, I, you know, backstory, a background information that I can apply to this that I didn't have before with, like, a more traditional uh, text. I I really like that perspective, and I agree with you that I I'm a little bit hesitant to use that term at risk um, for various reasons, like you, and and it always kind of makes me nervous when I'm working with teachers and we start talking about comics or graphic novels, and their first instinct is this is great for reluctant readers, this is great for at risk kids, this is great for kids who will. Um, you know, struggle in those ways. But their implication to me with some of those comments is this is great for them until they can grow up or until they can get the skills they need to move on to the real stuff. And it this seems to be kind of just a placeholder for some of them mm-hmm. until they move on, you know, into into the good stuff, the text-based stuff. So how would you respond to a teacher or a parent that thought that, oh, you know, this is just kind of a way station. They'll move on, um, you know, once they get the skills or the capabilities that they need, you know, how can we kind of address that to say that comics are are great for these populations, but also great for all populations broadly and, you know, throughout kind of a lifespan of literacy development? I, I would first say that adults need to read more comics. They need to read more graphic novels. Um, my colleague, Eric Callenborn, teaches advanced placement courses. And one of the books that he loves to use and his kids really respond to well is a graphic adaptation of Beowulf. Uh, Gareth Hines actually does an amazing version of this, this book. And I don't know, did you have to read Beowulf when you were in, in school? I did, and I didn't enjoy it or appreciate it until I read Gareth Hines. <laughs> <laughs> when and, and when I read Gareth Hines, I'm like, oh, that's what it was about. Oh, that's what it meant. <laughs> that's precisely the point. We are forcing these kids to read this dead language, and we are we are just assuming that they'll come away these geniuses or these savants because they've been exposed to it but they don't understand what's happening in the story. But when you look at a book like um, like Gareth Hines' Beowulf, I think you have to kind of take a step back and go, oh, this is art. And I, I've, there's a couple of books that I actually give people to kind of woo them into liking comics or reading comics. Um, one of them is I Kill Giants uh, by Joe Kelly and J.M. Kim Nomura. Gorgeous And book. it has a little bit of language in there. Great book, but... The thing that's amazing about this book is that it has a very um, a very sophisticated way of dealing with very big, big, big topics. And every every adult I've put in, um, that book into their hands, they always react the same way. One, they cry, which I think as a reaction, that is as real as you can get or as adult as you can get. 
Um, but two, they always say, I didn't know comics could do this. And I think that's always my response is I don't think a lot of adults know what comics can actually do because they don't read them. And you have to just give them a chance to actually read the right comic. That's a great recommendation because I think sometimes for some people, their experience is only like the Sunday funnies or the, the you know short strips in the newspaper, yeah. which is a, a completely different form than some of these in-depth graphic novels. And that is a gorgeous book. You are so right. It does have a little language, so it's more, more on the adult end, but it really can open up your heart and your thoughts to a, a beautiful context of the world around you in, in such a fundamental way. I, I really appreciate that. So, Ronell, as we close up our conversation today, what, what is one thing or idea or tip that you think you would like our listeners to take away today? What is that one thing that you hope they'll remember from our conversation? I hope they'll remember that there's no such thing as real books. No such thing as real reading. And if we want to encourage our kids to think and to learn and to actually enjoy learning, then we should stop putting roadblocks in front of them that will stop them from doing those things. Insightful and a perfect way to end. Thank you so much, Ronell. This has been insightful and wonderful. I appreciate your passion for kids, your passion for teaching, and your passion for comics. I am really appreciative of you (laughs) taking the time to share with us today. Thank you for so much for having me. This was a blast. High school English teacher Rennell Whitaker, who uses comics and graphic novels as a gateway for helping students connect with literature. We close the show with World's Awaiting host Rachel Wadham, who chats with Jessica Verzello. Jessica works with Rachel in the BYU Education and Juvenile Literature Library. They discuss the graphic novel One Trick Pony by Nathan Hale. We're in studio today with Jess. Welcome, Jess. Thank you. Let's chat a little bit about one of our newest favorite graphic novels, One Trick Pony by Nathan Hale. So tell us a little bit about what this graphic novel is. Well, this is a great story. Um, It takes place in kind of a post-apocalyptic, I said that wrong, Uh, post-alien invasion (laughs) world. Um, And it follows these two siblings and their friend and their, their... trying to salvage this technology. These aliens come and they just eat up all the technology and the history that's been recorded. And so these teenagers are part of a caravan who is trying to salvage and and um, preserve um, the history of the human race. And uh, they stumble upon a robotic horse, which is the pony in the title. And this leads to a little bit of misadventures as they get chased down by aliens and they meet new people Um but in the end, they're, you know, able to t- defeat the aliens and and at a cost of great sacrifice and kind of restart the human race. So it's a really great – it's a great story, great graphic novel. I love the f- effect of this because I think there are certain stories that are well told in a graphic novel format and the drama – Mm-hmm. of them is one of those types of things. So I like to see things that are really dramatic. And that's the one thing I really love about this particular book is that it is really dramatic, right? There's there's lots of drama and to have to to have to describe that in words I think would have been impossible, but to be able to, you know, show these 
crazy aliens that I don't even know how to describe. Right. Yeah. It just makes it so much, so much better in, in that kind of dramatic context that he provides in this graphic novel. Um, I know we were talking earlier and one of the things that we said that we loved was the characters. So tell us a little bit more about why you think you connect to these characters. Well, I just love how they're so individual. I mean, the girl's very headstrong and brave and courageous and she just, you know, takes all these crazy risks and her brother is always behind her saying, stop, like, come back, you know, you know, just what are you doing? And, you know, they have the the one friend that's really whiny and hungry all the time and makes everything about food and, you know, the, the crazy, crazy scavenger girl that they meet who's very like survival. We must be tough and you can't trust anyone. So I just love how... You know, in, in just their dialogue and their attitude and, and the illustrations, you everyone is very strong. And I think in, sometimes in graphic novels and even in stories, characters can blend together and become quite dull that you don't even know who is talking in a conversation between, you know, two or three characters. And I think one of those distinctive things for me is that it adds a lot of humor. Now, mm-hmm. you'd think, you know, with this post-alien apocalyptic kind of context, yeah. you think, oh, really heavy kind of story. But there are just these lovely little moments of humor in, in the book, like um, the the one girl who is, you know, the strong type um, that they meet along the road. Uh, she's fascinated with old movies. And so she's right. really excited that she gets to she gets to see the movies that they've saved out of this technology, right? And so, you know, after this really big battle, you know, the statement is, yeah, now it's time for me to see the movies. So, you know, just a lovely lovely little piece of humor like that. or the alpaca. Yeah. Tell everybody about the alpaca humor. That was so fun. They come yeah. across these, like, cannibalistic, really tough, you know, guys and... You know, they're trying to barter for their lives and they mention that they have alpacas that, that we you know with their caravan and the guy, his face just gets so soft. He's like, you have alpacas? And it's almost like the sub storyline, you know, underneath everything it even has its own conclusion where they, they get the alpacas at the end and he's so happy. And it's just, it does, it adds that lightness and that humor. And personally, I would be, I would be the alpaca man in this story because I would, ha- I know what's important. I, I could see that, yeah. you know, the alpacas <laughs> in the movies, those would be the things that would be important to us in, in the post-alien invasion right, kind right. of world, yeah. I, I think that was really just delightful because that adds some lightness to the book. Um, that adds just this touch of, of beauty that just makes it that much more intriguing. Right. Because it's not a very complex story, no. right? It's not like there's lots of, you know, twists and turns, right? Yeah. They find this pony, they escape, and, you know... They get to the aliens, defeat the aliens, defeat the aliens, and it's done, right? Yeah. So it's not really that complex, but through its simplicity, it adds such great complexity. It does. It does. And I think it also makes it more accessible to younger readers. I mean, there's no really questionable content within the graphic novel itself. And because the story is so complete... And like you said, you know, it's, it's not it's not complex. It's pretty simple. I think that would be a great introduction for younger readers who are curious about the graphic novel genre. So great recommendation, both from Jess and me here. We would recommend One Trick Pony by Absolutely. Nathan Hale with yes. two thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thanks, Jess. Rachel Wadham with her BYU Library Reference Assistant, Jessica Verzello, reviewing the graphic novel One Trick Pony by Nathan Hale. 
Check out this review and others at the World's Awaiting Book Reviews link on our website at byuradio.org. Thanks for listening to World's Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app, and at byuradio.org.